Well, good morning. I even had someone make a special trip up to my place where I was staying last night and remind me that the chapel was at 9 o'clock this morning. I said, yeah, no problem. I got it, I got it all marked down. I'll make sure I'm there. And uh, then I got a call about five minutes ago and said, uh, there's chapel on right now. So I'm glad to be here. This is test day, isn't it? Okay, so I failed. All right, turn to, uh, turn to John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. I just want to say, and, and just, uh, I'm having trouble with time this morning, uh, Mr. McMahon. When does this chapel end? 935. 935, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Oak. <laughs> Uh, I just want to say what a privilege it is to be here with you. And uh, I count it a great honor each and every time I am invited to come to NBBI and spend time on campus or to participate in any of the activities or conferences that are going on. And uh, we just think the world of what God has been doing over the years and continues to do through this Bible Institute and thank the Lord for it. Pray for it. And pray for the staff. And pray for the, the president of the school, Matt Little, who right today, I think, is teaching, I hope he's on time, is teaching at uh, Word of Life in Owen Sound. Now, before we look into John chapter 6, let's just have a word of prayer, shall we? Dear God, thank you for bringing us all together. And I thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word. And I thank you for its power and its instruction, for its reproof, for its encouragement, for its comfort. And I'm sure that each and every one of us here this morning have things on our minds and on our hearts that the Word of God can, and only the Word of God can minister to. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts, instruct us, and encourage us. We ask this in your name, for Christ's sake, amen. I was just uh, in Israel last month, actually, and it was at the location where this passage of Scripture is very likely to have taken place. And one of the things I realized as I traveled around the Galilee in Israel was that, and around Israel itself, I don't think I'll ever be able to read Scripture the same way again. The accuracy of the Word of God is absolutely indisputable when you go there and walk around the ruins that secular archaeologists are uncovering. And as you take the Word of God and read from the places where the events took place, and you look out and you say, oh yeah, that was right there. There it is, right in the Word of God. Or that place which for centuries... Archaeologists has disputed as even being real. Within the last 25 years, they've uncovered it. And remarkably, it measures exactly the way the Old Testament writer says it measures. And I came away from that experience of just wandering around Israel, just totally convinced, as if I needed any more convincing, I was already convinced before I went, but it just totally convinced me that we can believe 
every word in this book. And so we're going to read this from this portion of, of the Word of God from the Sea of Galilee up near Tiberias. And we'll read a few verses and then I'll make some comments on them. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. You know, the Lord Jesus was always followed by people that wanted to be entertained. Just wanted to hang out. Just wanted to see the show. Were drawn by the possibility of some big thing happening. Drawn by the suspense. You see that back in John chapter 2. If you just go back to John chapter 2 for a few moments here. John chapter 2, the end of the chapter, it says this. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of him, for he knew what was in man. Many followed him because they saw the signs which he did. And here we go to John chapter 6, and we see, Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he had performed on those which were diseased. There's always an element surrounding the Lord Jesus. There's always a group that are there because they've got nothing better to do with their lives. So they just want to hang out. Or they're there because their friends are there. Or they're there because they just want to be, to see what is going to happen. And that definitely is true down through the centuries. It's true in our churches today. Many are there not for the reason of worshiping the person of Jesus Christ. But they're there because it's a habit. They're there because it's part of their lifestyle. They're there because their parents have taken them to church from the time they were in the nursery. And it's not really because they are really connected with the person of Jesus Christ in any deep and meaningful way. Now, if you go back to John chapter 2, which, we, which I'm not going to, to do, but just to make this comment. The Lord Jesus said, uh, Jesus, the writer of John said that he did not commit himself unto those who were there to see the show. Because he knew what was in man. He knew their heart. And that's a scary thing. To think that the Son of God, God himself, knows my heart this morning. He knows what I'm really thinking. He knows what I'm really committed to. He knows my real desires. Not just the ones that I display to other people. He knows how I really feel about his word. 
He knows what I really think of my roommate. <laughs> he knows. Because he knows what is in man. And he needs no one to give him instruction. He doesn't have to go to university to take behavioral psychology courses to figure out what life is all about. Now, the opposite side of that coin is very encouraging. The Lord Jesus knows every need of your heart. He knows every need of my heart. And so when we go back to John chapter 6 and we read on a little further, then the great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up into the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. This is to be right on the north end of the small sea of Galilee overlooking that beautiful lake. It's an incredible view. What a place to just sit and, and relax. Or what a place to have an encounter with the God who created this universe. And so, now the Passover, the feast was at near, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. Isn't it exam day today? Yeah. To test him. For he himself knew what he would do. In John chapter 2, the Lord Jesus knew what was in the hearts of people. Knows the motivative, motivations of people. Doesn't need anyone to instruct him as to what you're thinking right now. He knows it. He knows what I'm thinking. But here we see that in every situation of life, the Lord Jesus knows what he will do. He, he's never perplexed. God never has to sit down and get the computer out and, and, and go Google a word to find out what it means. He never has to do any of that stuff. And the question would be, well, if the Lord Jesus knew what he was going to do in this situation of all these people being hungry and needing to be fed, then why did he ask Philip the question? You know, God asks us questions sometimes and puts big question marks in our lives. Not because... He doesn't know what's going to happen. But because he needs us to grapple with the enormity of who he is. And yet not only the enormity, but the simplicity of him being able to reach down into a simple individual life like Gary Stairs. And answer the question. Take care of all the details. That's what he does here to Philip. Hey, Philip, how are we going to feed all this mob? You know, Philip's answer is so human. You know what Philip's answer was? Well, Lord, if we only had more resources, we could do it. That, that's basically, that's not what he says, but that's basically behind what he says. And Philip answered, 200 denari denarii. 
worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may even have a little, Lord. Lord, the answer is money. Now, I know I'm talking to a well-financed student body. You all look like you're designer clothes straight up to the teeth. And I drove into the parking lot. Of course, the speed I drove into the parking lot this morning, I can't honestly tell you that I saw very much, but <laughs> notice some cars out there. I know that Tom's got a truck. We were talking about it on Sunday. I know you're rich. And some of you and even me occasionally think that the answer is money if we're going to do what God wants us to do. Lord, I can't do that. If only I had, only if our ministry had more resources, we could reach more people. If only we had better this. If only we had better that. If only I had a better education. If only I had more of whatever it is that we think will solve the problem. And the thing is, students, our solutions are very seldom God's solutions. But he asks the question. And Peter says, well, Lord, the answer is resources. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he's got a different approach. He's going to go out and survey the crowd. So he starts doing a little survey. He starts walking among the 5,000. And he's looking for people who have picnic baskets. Because he thinks maybe if he can get enough people with enough picnic baskets, it will at least help. And so he goes out. And he starts to look around. And in verse 9 it says, he comes back. And he says to the Lord... There is a lad, a little boy, here, who has. Those are, those are very instructive words in terms of the lesson that's going to be taught in this passage of Scripture. There is a lad here who has five loaves and two small fish. And then he goes and ruins it by saying, but what are they among so many? He went out and he found a lad, brought him back. Now let me ask you something. Do you think in a crowd of 5,000 men, plus women and children, that there were only five loaves and two small fish? I, I don't think so because I think of my mother. Wherever my mother went, she was prepared for any emergency that came up. She carried a purse full of all kinds of things. You need a jackhammer? Here. (laughs) My mother was always prepared. And I I think there were a lot of mothers that sent their sons that day and packed them a lunch. And I think there were a lot of families that brought a few things. But nevertheless, here is one lad who Andrew brings forward who has five barley loaves and two small fish. And when that happened, look at Jesus' response. Verse 10, he said, and Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves from the lad. Now, that's a miracle. <laughs> a boy giving up his lunch? 
Don't look at me that way. To a stranger? His mom told him never to talk to strangers. That's what my mom always told me. And we lived here in Victoria Corner. <laughs> there weren't a lot of strangers. Mom said, no, Gary, you never talk. There's a miracle here. The lad gave up his lunch. And when he had given thanks, the Lord gave thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to them sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Now let's take some information out of this miracle. The lad comes forward, brings his five loaves and two small fishes. And the Lord Jesus takes them. And then he prays and he gives them to the disciples. And the disciples give them to the crowd. And then the disciples are instructed to go around and pick up the fragments that were left over. A couple questions. There were a lot of people that day that were there just to see the show. Because we've seen that's what people do. And we know in our hearts that's what we do. And I believe that there were people there that had little bits of food that could have been given, but they didn't. I just happen to believe in a crowd of 5,000 people. It wasn't just one lad that had something to offer. And as people were there to see the show, Andrew starts to wander through the crowd and finds this little boy and takes him up to where the Lord is. And then the little boy... As the scripture says, there is a lad right here, right before the Lord, who has in his possession a little bit of food. And the Lord takes it, prays, and gives it back to the disciples, and the disciples distribute it. Question. Who saw the miracle best? (laughs) The boy that gave his life. Not the person at the back of the crowd who was there to see the show. No, the one who gave. Can you imagine? I mean, you've got to have an imagination to really appreciate the things that are going on here. The boy gives his lunch to the Lord. The Lord takes it. And then he says, let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, he doesn't say that, but that's what happens. Do you think the boy closed his eyes? I wondered about that. 10, 11-year-old kid, I think he just stood right there, right in front of the Lord and just watched. Gave his, he's not going to take his lunch off the, those fish and that barley loaves. <laughs> he wants to see what's going to happen. And the Lord blessed the food. God answered. And it was multiplied. Do you know who saw the best miracle? The one who gave the food. Not the one way at the back of the crowd. Looking this way. Hey, sit down, will you? I can't see what's going on. 
the one who got involved, the one who stepped forward, the one who was brought to the Lord, got the greatest blessing, saw in detail the miracle taking place. See, friends, we have what the Lord needs. The lad had in his possession. Now, it wasn't much. And what I have and what you have is not much. Let's face it. We're ordinary people. We don't have much. And if we sit around waiting until we have a lot or until we become somebody important, it's never going to happen. The Lord didn't say, now, kid, listen, why don't you take those loaves and those fish and, and go down to Tiberias and, and sell them and invest it, get some mutual funds, go to school for a while, come back when you're 22 or 23, having completed Bible school, and uh, we'll get something done. No, that's not the way it ever works. Listen, the Lord wants what I have right now. Not in the future. He doesn't want us sitting around like Philip saying, Lord, well, if only I had more. If only I knew more. If only I was better at this. If only I was better at that. No, the Lord says... You've got what I need. And what you've got to do is give it to me. Now watch the process. The boy gave what he had in the presence of the Lord. The Lord took from his hands what he had been given, blessed it, and then gave it to the disciples... And the disciples distribute it to the people. That's God's plan for missions. Right there. Could God put the message, what is needed to satisfy the the longing heart of every soul, could he put it in front of all of the 7 billion people in the world today instantly? Yes. If you don't believe that, then he's not your God. He's not the God that I know. Do you think that's harder than creating the universe? By speaking it into existence? I don't think so. So God could do that. But what's he say? So I need some lads. They're going to step forward. They're going to give me what they have. And I'm going to take that little bit, that little bit of talent, that little bit of knowledge, that little bit of personality, that little gift, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to bless it and I'm going to multiply it and I'm going to distribute it. So he gives it to the disciples. That food could have appeared in front of all those 5,000 people instantly. Boom! Whoa! That would have been an incredible miracle in itself. But he didn't do it that way. Slowed the process down. 
And he said, I want those who follow me, whom I'm training, whom I'm using. I want them to be used in this. Now look, there were 5,000 people and 12 men. They didn't all get the full amount at one time. They had a little basket. You couldn't carry a basket full for seven or eight or 900 men in one little basket. So the Lord gave to them, they put it in their little basket or they held it in their hands and they started to walk. And Philip, who believed that it was money that would resolve the problem, he's there and he's got his little bit of food and he, he gives it out to that family. And he walks and he, he gives it out to this boy and he gives it out to that old gentleman. He gives it, and he notices it's not getting smaller. It's still there. He yells over to Peter, hey, Peter, look at this, man, look at this. It's all awesome. And I thought it was money we needed. And just to make his point, after it's all done, after all the bellies have been filled, and the boy is just blown away, wow. I was involved in this. Wait till mom hears this one. (laughs) Wait till I tell my brother. Wait till my sister hears this. After it was all over, the Lord said to the disciples, Hey guys, get out there and pick up the fragments. Fragments. That's pieces. Boys were the same then as they are today. This boy never liked eating his bread crust. You know what I'd do? I'd stuff the crust under the side of my plate. I thought my mom was never going to move that plate for the rest of her life. It was just going to sit there till I grew up to be a man and left home. Going to be quite a lot of crust around it by that time, but I would hide it from my mother. Do you think boys didn't do that then? Under the picnic basket blanket. under the sandal into the ground on the side of that hill. And you know what the Lord says to the disciples? I never want you to forget this lesson, boys. You get out there and you pick up the fragments. Must have been an interesting discussion going on when that happened. Andrew said, yuck. And I thought there wouldn't be enough. Look at this. Hey, listen, you ready to let God surprise you? Give him the little bit you have. Now, you and I both know it's not much. That's what God does. Little is much when God is in it. He takes the little bits of our lives and uses them. And remember this. He knows what he will do with the little bit that you give him and with my little life and with your little life. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of how great you are today. I pray for these students as they prepare for their writing of their tests and exams today that you'll go before them. Lord, I pray for this school that you'll continue to bless it. I pray for President Little today at Word of Life. May his heart be encouraged as our students I know are gonna be blessed by his presence. 
And we ask these things in thy precious name with thanksgiving. Amen.